Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies, the first communication department in the United States, and also co-director of the Emerson Blancarna Global Center. Today is a very exciting day at Emerson because today we had an official welcome of our president-elect, Jay Bernhardt, uh, from the University of Texas. So I think for all the Emersonians out there, including one that's sitting here with me, we are saying welcome, President Jay. Yes. And I might say that when I've been at Emerson for 38 years, I feel as though I've probably experienced everything. Mm -hmm. But I had a young woman contact me a couple of years ago who said, uh, Dr. Payne, I want to be a diplomat. And oh, by the way, I'm the youngest student ever. So I would say, welcome Trinity Stokes, Disney star, global diplomat, and also extraordinary public speaking expert. Welcome <laughs> to Payne on Politics. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I, I say, you know, I love you, Dr. Payne, and you've just been so instrumental in my journey here at Emerson so far, so I'm so happy to be here. Well, listen, we send the love right back. We're getting close to Valentine's. That's what it's all about. <laughs> my question to you is, Trinity, first of all, what was it that attracted you to Emerson because you're on the West Coast, which right. of course this time of the year, much better weather. Yes. Right. It's so a what, chilly. what was it about downtown Boston Emerson? I think the thing about Emerson that really interested me was the variety of majors that were available to me. As you know, my background is in entertainment, so Emerson has such a wide entertainment base to pull from. So many great alumni as well. The Emerson Mafia, as we like to call ourselves. And you're going to be one soon. Yes, yes, and I'm very excited to join that group. But yes. so many great so many great alumni as well as the, my major, political communication. I had not seen that major anywhere else, and what better way to study communication than at the first communication school. And when I was looking online and I was looking at some of the classes, I said, wow, this is so interesting and it was so unique. And everything here at Emerson is so niche and it's such a nice, intimate way to learn. And for me, I love learning one-on-one -on -one and a small teacher to student ratio. And that's something that I get here at Emerson that really makes it feel like home. Listen, I think what you are, you seem to be a walking advertisement for what we talked <laughs> about. And that is immersive communication. And I know that you've worked with Spencer Kimball, one of mm -hmm. uh, our uh, best posters in the United States. Uh, are you finding that immersive piece of Emerson something that we say that that's what we do? How, how has that experience been for you? I know you've been to Europe and other places. I think it's been absolutely immersive. There's so many, like you said, so many people claim so many things about themselves or about their universities, but Emerson lived up to it on day one. I think well, that's as, good. as soon as I announced that I was coming to Emerson, so many people that I either knew or didn't know were like, hey, I went to Emerson, come, come speak at this event, or hey, let me give you some tips about Emerson, or just being able to have a wider network of Emerson alumni or people that are currently in Emerson, being able to have that group of welcome arms to come 
come and being able to help guide me along my journey has really been helpful for me. And also Emerson having a state-of-the-art, fabulous LA campus has been really great for me as well. That campus has a lot of really awesome events and really great speakers as well. Well, you're an incredible ambassador in terms of back and forth across the country. Mm -hmm. One question I would have for you, I know this uh, this summer you were in Switzerland, I think was it Switzerland? Austria. Austria, okay. I know that we were thinking of Switzerland. So you went yes. to Austria with uh, Professor Amelia Leitas' program. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Life-changing experience. I know when I first committed to Emerson, the second thing I did after looking up the course options was looking at study abroad. From a young age, I always knew that I wanted to study abroad and Emerson had such unique options for study abroad. Whether it was the locations or the courses that were offered, everything was just so unique. So I landed on Austria because I wanted to go somewhere that I would have never thought of to travel on my own. Yes. And I never really thought of Austria before, specifically not Salzburg. It's not the capital, a little off in the countryside. And I'm so, so glad I went. I mean, it really shaped me because we didn't have a lot of students in the Salzburg program from the United States. As it was a largely global program, about 60 students, more than 90% of them were non-American. So you had such a diverse group of people, a lot of unique opinions. So for me, it was almost like ambassador training, diplomatic training. What is it like to represent the United States in a different continent, a different country, being able to be in conversations where someone is asking me what I think about certain policies or what I think about what's happening in our politics, being able Able to answer those questions on behalf of the United States because, hey, there's only 10 of us from the U.S., so we're the ones who's going to be asking these questions. And aside from the academic stimulation, I mean, during my program, we were learning about the importance of truthful media and also learning about media literacy, how to be able to tell the difference between true and false narratives, which is really important, especially now with social media. The cultural immersion. I mean, I was only there for about two and a half weeks weeks, but I think after the first five days, I was I tried to pick up a little bit of German. I was remembering staff names, going out in the town, visiting stores and shops, and, you know, living with the locals. And I think for me, that was really important because in the U.S., even though every city is really different, everything sort of have the same ideas, similar cultural norms and things like that. So being able to go to Austria, go to Salzburg, where it was a complete culture shock. Everything was different all the way down to, you know, different ways that we serve water and different meals and things like that. It was, it was really transforming. I would love to go back. Well, I'm sure you will. I know that you have a real passion for diplomacy. And I, I remember when you talked to myself and Spencer and others about what you wanted to do for internships. Uh, one thing I find is you always, as we encourage you to do at, at Emerson, set the bar high. <laughs> and you said, I want to do an internship at the United Nations. And I think we all sat around and said, well, okay, this is something that we can work on and maybe in a year. And you basically said, no, I want this summer. So not only did you set that goal, you achieved that goal. Tell me what that was like working, uh, you know, with the U.S. Uh, representative in the United Nations. Yeah. So currently I have an internship actually with the U.S. State Department. So I'm with the U.S. State Department, specifically the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. So still similar in that study abroad travel area. And I think it's really been amazing because as someone who aspires to have dual 
dual careers with entertainment and foreign service, being able to break into that foreign service lane and understand simple things like how to communicate in the foreign service, the different types of language that you use in the foreign service. But for me, having access to all the briefings, all the seminars, all the different things that you learn, just being affiliated with the State Department for me was really life-changing because I always knew it was something I wanted to do, but being in the moment, being able to learn all of these things and hear about all of these conversations, it's, it was really amazing. And it still is amazing for me. I'm still in my internship. So for me, when I have time, when I'm not filming or studying or anything like that, I love to attend the um, State Department briefings. I learned so many new things, things that aren't on mainstream news, something that might not be on your local news network, but is still equally as pressing. So for me, I find that, you know, very educational and I'm so happy that I was able to land this internship because it's it's like the start going down my foreign service path. Well, Madam Ambassador, to me, I'm sure that's <laughs> going to be helpful. I know that one thing that uh, uh, you really appreciate is soft power or the ability to build bridges mm -hmm. through a variety of means, whether it be in sports, entertainment. As an entertainer, how do you see that you're able to reflect the values of the United States, Western democracies in your work? And is that a part of why you want to be an ambassador in terms of building those bridges? Yes, I think it's it's deeply interconnected. Simply, um, when I was actually in Austria, I was speaking with someone, she was from Spain, and she was telling me that she wanted to learn English. And so the way that she started lear learning English was actually watching one of my shows um, on TV. So that moment really brought to my attention, wow, okay, so the shows that I'm on, the TV that represents America, the shows and movies that we popularize, these are the things that people are associating with the United States. Top movies, big franchises, Marvel, Avatar, Star Wars, things like that. Those are the values that people associate with the United States. So for me, I think it's really interconnected for me personally by the roles I choose to play. So if I'm out and about and someone associates me with the United States as they would as I'm an American, I think it's important for me to choose the roles that I play to make sure that they're, you know, representing the United States as best as they can, representing key values, family, trust, unity, things like that. So I think once I really realized that when I was abroad, I was like, oh wow, this is super connected. It really goes hand in hand because the more that we show in our shows and movies the things that the United States is about, the more that that's slowly going to translate and communicate to people abroad. And, and hopefully, I think, hopefully it'll make negotiations with foreign policy a little bit easier. Right. Now, you've had a storied past with regard to the entertainment industry. I think as we try to trace that very accomplished pathway, <laughs> when did this begin? And how does it, how are you able to do not only entertainment, because how many followers do you have on Instagram? A lot, Dr. Payne. Okay, Almost 700,000. 700,000? Almost. Almost. Okay. Maybe after this, I'm sure it'll go up to a million. <laughs> uh, but 700,000. When did you indicate to your very gifted and wonderful parents that this is what I need to do? I want to be a Disney star. I want to be out there. How did this all develop? Well, Dr. Payne, it started at the tender age of three. 
I was just three years old and I was watching TV. I was watching That's So Raven on Disney and I looked up at my mom. I was like, mom, I wanna do that. I wanna make people laugh. And so it started just then. That was when the seed was planted when I was watching someone that inspired me on TV. And so at age five, I started with theater plays and I fell in love with the theater, the improv aspect of being able to go on stage and literally leave it all on the floor. No redos, no retakes. It's all there right in front of you. Um, and then I booked my first commercial, which was a coffee commercial with Peyton Manning, which is pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. That's a pretty cool yes. first, I think. And uh, then we took the leap of faith. I mean, truly, God really just paved the path for me. And we took a leap of faith. Then we moved from Mississippi to California with no big, plan. It's a big move. It's, it's a, a big, big move. It's a big move. No plan, no jobs, nothing lined up. And God just opened door after door after door. And I mean, it didn't come without tough times, without wondering, okay, was this really the right move? But after I booked my first show, Disney's Casey Undercover, it really was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm making an impact. I'm brightening days and hopefully making hearts and minds smile and bringing a little bit of positivity to this world that sometimes feel a little bit dark. So that was a really, really exciting moment for me. And I think when I made the choice to fo focus equally as much on my academia, I was in middle school and I really fell in love with learning. And ever since I was little, I was always a bit more accelerated than the others and one of the great great benefits of being homeschooled I was able to learn at my learning pace which was pretty fast so I learned really quickly and thankfully during COVID I was actually able to learn even more because filming was shut down there was no tapings no red carpets no events so during my high school year year and a half sort of, I was taking lots of college classes. I started taking college classes in middle school and continued on in high school. And the plan was just to learn, right? Take classes that I'm interested in, histories, business, marketing, lots of different things that fascinated me. And mm -hmm. I mean, I met with one of my, my school counselors and she was like, okay, what's the plan? I was like, what do you mean, what's the plan? She was like, you're graduating. We can't keep you here anymore. You have to apply to college if that's what you're gonna do. So I was like, oh, wow, this came quicker than I expected. And, you know, I find a lot of people may not put as much emphasis on their education. They might not be interested in going to college. But for me, I think it's equally as important to find something else that you're interested in when it comes to stimulating your brain. So for me, that's politics. And I'm very curious and interested and passionate about the way that politics are communicated, whether that's here at home or out there abroad, the way that politics is communicated, whether that's, you know, affirming unconscious biases or whether whatever it may be, whether it's false or truth, it really shapes the way that we vote, the way that we talk in conversations formally or informally. So that's how I landed on my political communication major and so far I'm taking my cue from Shirley Temple and keeping my acting career as well as a goal in foreign service so well listen I think it's been a good ship lollipop for those people who remember it one thing <laughs> I want to mention though is you in addition to balancing this incredible career and I have to say it's uh, it was such a great uh, opportunity for my students in the Kent State Jackson State class to hear from your father, Ron, about his remembrances of that tragedy down in Jackson State in 1970. But if we do a segue, one thing that I find is you are a very bubble, bubbly personality, very optimistic, idealistic, very inspirational. 
And you also were, have been a participant in our Pizza and Politics series, which yes. began for two weeks, but it's been going now nonstop for three years. We ask you to do something that was daunting, challenging, and I think uh, somber. But we said, could you address this body, which of course includes people from around the world, about the significance and the impact on the anniversary of George Floyd's death? And you did so. And here you are, you know, a teenager, a mid-teen, and you really wrap yourself around that. Uh, How were you able to do that? And what do you think the lessons of that tragedy uh, tell us today when we experience more and more unnecessary shootings? Yeah, I think when when you gave me the call, I was completely shocked. I was stunned. I It was my first semester at Emerson. I had just sort of gotten into the swing of things. I was in love with pizza and politics, the things that we were discussing, and I really enjoyed the, the time that I spent there. But I thought it was really an honor because the the killing of George Floyd was really monumental and I think it really brought the world to a pause and I think it brought a lot of people to the awareness that there is still racism out there there is still racial unbias out there there is still a lot of people out there that believe that sometimes all all races aren't equal so I think it was really important to highlight that in pizza and politics but also to highlight ways that we can move forward. You know, a lot of people address issues but don't address a solution. So I wanted to provide a few solutions during my my seminar at Pizza and Politics. So one of the things that I wanted to highlight was to show that unity is important. And a lot of people think that unity is just gonna fall on us or it's gonna take one large speaker to just unite the masses and we're all gonna be one and that's gonna be it. But I found that conscious unity being intentional about that takes daily steps. So even something as simple as if you see someone in the dining hall at your office, whatever it may be, and you see someone that's alone, see someone maybe that's not talking to anyone or that you see doesn't really have as many friends as you do, simply just going over there and speaking with them and having a conversation to them, making them feel known and acknowledged and realizing that they're a person. And I think that was something that I took away from the murder of George Floyd. It it felt dehumanizing. And Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people lose in the day-to-day life, whether that's acknowledging your service workers, acknowledging your professors and your family members, knowing that as much as we depend on people to bring us our favorite coffee, our favorite meal, to teach us our most valuable lessons at the end of the day, we have to remember that these people are human. These people have rough days. These people have great days. And most importantly, these people have emotions. And also being able to look at a situation and if you see something that doesn't seem right, take a pause before you act on it and think through the situation. And I I really think that was something that was precedent in the George Floyd scenario. It was a very quick scenario. It was a life-threatening scenario that happened in a split second. And so I think whenever we're in scenarios where you want to act with anger or, you know, harshness or violence, I think we all need to take a quick second to breathe and recalibrate and think about not only our decisions and how that that's going to affect one person, but also think about how that's going to affect that person. It's 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 going to affect that person's sex on everyone else. So I think those are some of the things that I wanted to, to emphasize in pizza and politics, and, and I hope that they were well received. 
Well, I think they were. I think your point is well taken when you say you have to meet uh, issues or episodes of violence. Uh, we got together with President uh, Pelton and Spencer and I after the Newtown shootings and started working with the Bird Street Group. And I think uh, what you've just said echoes one of my favorite lines from Robert Kennedy, and that is, each time one person stands up, you send forth a tiny ripple of hope that can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression or prejudice. So I salute you for that. I think as we close, though, in addition to all these things that you have accomplished at this ripe age, I keep thinking as I reflect on how long I've been here and what you've accomplished in such a short time, when am I going to get myself together? Yeah. Uh, you have also written a book yes. and it's a bestseller and it's yes. one in which you speak about your faith yes. uh, in terms of uh, your close affiliation with God. And yes. so could you share a little bit about what makes that special? Yes. So my book, Bold and Blessed, I published it when I was 11. is is a passion project. It tells a little bit about my journey so far, even though, you know, my life isn't super long just yet. It still tells that journey and some important lessons that I've taken away so far. But the key thing, as you mentioned, in my life, and it's a running stream through everything that I've accomplished, has been my faith. And for me, without my faith in God, none of this would be possible because there's so many times where I wake up and maybe I didn't get the speech opportunity that I wanted or I didn't get the grade that I wanted or on an assignment and it's really tough and it's like ah man like am I on the right track am I doing the right thing but with my faith in God I'm able to talk to him and pray with him and really realize that okay this is something that a gift that God has given me and this is a strength that God has given me so whatever opportunity and whatever experience whatever person that I'm supposed to meet or thing that I'm supposed to have God is going to give it to me and he's going to equip me with the skills that I need to succeed in that and, and that's something that I always try to keep in mind as well as no matter how busy my days get you know God is the person that makes my days busy he gives me the people to meet and the opportunity so making sure that every day I spend quality time with him and making sure that I'm very grateful and thankful to God so that way he knows that this is all him. Well, I think in closing, what I would say is you seem to be, uh, I would think, an individual doing God's work in so many ways. Uh, what I would say, again, I am constantly amazed and constantly proud of everything you do. You enhance the glow of the department, which we said is the first communication department. I think you've enhanced it with a legacy and a youthfulness that's going to make sure that that is a brighter star in the move ahead. So Trinity Stokes, thank you so much for joining us for the first visit to Paint on Politics. Yes. We've got to have you many more times. Yes, back. I look forward to coming back and you know where to find me to keep up with all of the things that I'm doing, whether that's two times Dean's List or Congratulations. lots of, thank you, lots of travel, whatever that may be. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all the things at Trinity Stokes. Well, I would say she is our Emerson Global Ambassador, Madam Stokes. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Payne. Bye-bye.